the project. Kuwait. Learn. Learn. All right. So today we are joined by Faye Sultan, who is an Olympic swimmer representing Kuwait. This is an exciting interview for myself personally, having a swimming background. So it's fun to have someone who can kind of geek out on some of the training methods and someone who agrees with me that swimming is the hardest sport out there. Questionably. Questionably. <laughs> ah, it is. It is. No, but what's really interesting <laughs> about this episode is um, the, the effect that the support network that Faye had around her and uh, the influence of parents on kids and their sporting ability in the, in the future. I think the training aspect and how it affects um, a, a younger person's studies and overall social aspects, I think that's really important that people neglect in Kuwait. So I think it's really good that she touches on a lot of that and goes into some of the training modalities that she went into and, you know, the prehab, rehab. So it's a hell of an episode, in my opinion. All this and more in today's episode. (laughs) Welcome to the project. So today we've got Faye Sultan on to talk about her experience swimming in the Olympics and representing Kuwait. And being an overall Kuwaiti hero, you know, I mean. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Speaking for the Kuwaitis in the room, (laughs) seriously, you're a huge hero to a lot of us. I mean, just getting to the Olympics was a huge feat, and it's it's amazing to have you on here. Like to have an actual Olympian sitting here is is that's really kind. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for the introduction, and thank you obviously for having me on your podcast. So, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the Olympics or how it all got started? I think that's what a lot of people want to know is how you got started into swimming and you know being in our country and how it wasn't really big throughout the 90s or the early 2000s you know i mean i used to go to qatia club and there wasn't girls swimming yeah well i've actually trained at qatia club but we were downstairs in the kiddie pool um hidden away so i've swam at a lot of pools here in kuwait been kicked out of a few of them along the way as well but my journey kind of started probably a lot way before my act- i actually set foot at any olympics obviously so I was about eight when I started competing, which is quite late for swimmers, I think. And my parents, well, at the time, my brother was a rising tennis star, and I think I was maybe a bit of trouble. So my parents bribed me with Kit Kats, nonetheless, for <laughs> Kit Kats. And that's all it took for me to be bribed into the world of swimming and endless sets. And, you know, it's a very grueling sport. But obviously, I came out of it with a a lot of amazing opportunities, and I learned a lot along the way. My first team, it was kind of comical. It was me, my scary Hungarian coach, and my mother. And that that was my first swim team. And we'd get there, and we swam in Nadir Muk, and they actually would lock us in during practice. And I just trained after school every day when I was around eight with my mom, who is horrible at swimming. And I hope she's hearing this. <laughs> and she will, she will. But I love her for supporting me that way. After I swam in Adir Mook, I when I was about 10, 9 or 10, I joined Elite Swim Team. And that was the four, my first introduction to a more established swim team. Uh, you know, we had regular trainings, competitions, etc. And we competed in... So, sorry, what year, what year was Elite Swim Team? What year did you join that? I was... Uh, about 14 years ago so I was about I was about 10 yeah wow okay uh sorry I just know Mashari um Riziki was uh I swam with him in college and he runs elite swim team now that's so was really he doing cool that back then yes yes so okay I guess he was our founder or co-founder um yeah. and he was my coach at one point and I trained with his brothers 
Um, so it, I'm uh, very grateful to obviously their family uh, because they've definitely encouraged my swimming career. And I, without them, without Elite Swim Team, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to get to where I did. Yeah. And they, they completely, I guess, changed the, the face of swimming in Kuwait. Uh, having a yeah. swim team that's kind of privatized is a crucial step. And I think it, it is a very profound step, especially in my Olympic journey, um, to be able to, to go somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's, it was reliable. You know, there's always training despite my sometimes, you know, maybe not wanting to go, but there right. was, it was regular and it was established. Yeah. So very cool. So yeah. did you just have a natural love for the water? I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm very curious because I have a four-year-old son and since he's been, I'd say three months, like he just loves being in a swimming pool, loves being in the water, started swimming at two years old. So did you just have a natural found love for swimming or was it kind of, you know, you said your parents had to bribe you with Kit Kats, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did. But I also did have a love or maybe an affinity for water. So I did pretty much every sport that you could imagine growing up. And the one that I kind of gravitated towards was swimming. And I think I, you start loving it, right? But then as you throw yourself into something, whatever it is, you kind of have like a love-hate relationship with it. So as time progressed, I think I had a bit more of a love-hate relationship with it, but I definitely started loving it. And yeah, I, it called to me. I liked being in the water. I was a water baby. Oh, that's amazing. It's really yeah. good. That's it's like the complete opposite of me. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of, like, I grew up a swimmer as well. Like at five, that was when I started. And that was mostly like living in Minnesota, lakes around. It was like, you just, you learned how to swim. Yeah. I think it was around like age at 12 or something like that. It was after like I did volleyball and a few other sports, but you kind of had to choose there were seasons that kind of like overlapped. And so it was like, parents were like, all right, pick something. And swimming was what I went for. But it was around that middle school age, it got really tough to do it year round. And it's like, you talk about that love-hate relationship. Like, yeah, there's nothing worse than like when it's snowing outside and you have to jump inside of a freezing pool. And then just the hours and the yeah. distance and I, I don't mean, know, just smelling like chlorine all the time. And <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. And I think... So when I talk about my swimming journey, I have to obviously separate my swimming training and career in Kuwait. And then I went and studied university and I trained at college. And that was also very different. I had to get up in the morning and it was snowing outside. It was in the mountains, Williamstown, Massachusetts. So there was, that was a whole other experience as well. And I totally, I totally feel oh, for where, what you Where in Massachusetts did you go to school? In Williamstown, Massachusetts. Williamstown? It was in the Berkshires. Oh, awesome. I'm, yeah. well, I'm from, well. Born in Natick, lived there for most of my Very life. So cool. yeah, lived in Boston. I'm a Boston boy. <laughs> See, I think everyone always assumes that whenever they hear, "Oh, you study in Massachusetts," like, "Oh, you're in Boston." Yeah. And the Kuwaiti Student Union is always sending messages, you know, inviting me to events in Boston. And I was like, I am three and a half hours away yeah, from it's, Boston. Yeah, Berkshire's is <laughs> I'm a, it's, it's a hike. Mountains. It's definitely a yeah, hike. Yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't near any city. The nearest supermarket was like 30 minutes away, you know? But Yeah, Berkshire's is like yeah. in the mountains. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a gorgeous place to visit. You know, and people usually go in the winter. I went in the summer and it was amazing. Like we had such a great time. It was it's a it's a cozy place. It, yeah, so it's pretty it, good it for be. focusing for as an athlete, I guess. Then it's like a perfect absolutely, place for it. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. The only thing you could do is swim and study, basically. Yeah. So it was great. So your parents were happy as well. Yeah, my I parents guess. are happy, and my dad actually went to the same college, so I was, okay. I kind of followed in his footsteps. Oh, it's amazing. Copied him. <laughs> so speaking of the Kit Kats, what was your typical training day like? Just just to give the young people, the younger generation, an idea. Because we do have some young kids that listen to this show. Um, I coached baseball for a long time. Oh. So a lot of the kids that I coach still listen to this show. 
So what was your training day like? How much effort was put into it? A lot of effort. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I'm going to speak about my family for a second. And we all, my brothers, I have two brothers and they did, my older brother, uh, Ziad, was a competitive tennis player. My younger brother, Aziz, is currently a competitive basketball player. And we always have this little, you know, um, kind of rivalry about which sport is the hardest. And I can say without a doubt that swimming is the most grueling, the most rigorous sport out there. Yes. And we can all um, <laughs> yes. agree to disagree, I, I, I but know, I'm just going to put that on the, the table. Um, because, we need to get Aziz and yeah. here. Yeah, right, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Counts <Anyway>. argument. <laughs> but... I think the the sheer number of hours that you put in is unparalleled to like there's no other sport where that I know of actually with the exception of probably gymnastics where you're getting up in the morning and you have training for a couple of hours and then you come back in and you smell like chlorine all the time your hair is wet <laughs> all the time I was known in high school here as the I got my hair was always wet they're like oh where, you know where's Faye she's in the water like that was like kind of the joke in high school I'd go to weddings, my hair was wet. You know, I, yeah. I was always just on the go and my main commitment was swimming. And my friend, my friends understood that. They would joke about it, but they understood that, you know, I was dedicating myself to swimming. And in Kuwait, I would get up at around 4.30, maybe 5. I'd jump in the pool. I'd have practice until 6.45. I'd hop over to school, finish my school day, finish my, I think school ended about 2.15. I was back in the water at 2.30, Wow! go home. I was taking APs, I was taking advanced classes, had to kind of also focus on my academics and my school day and then go to sleep by eight and repeat. So eat, sleep, swim, study. <laughs> That's, <laughs> amazing that so, That's amazing that you managed. That's amazing that you managed. And your parents, I mean, I, I, your parents got to get credit for this because not a, lot of, not a lot of Kuwaiti parents or our parents will support their children playing a sport and dedicating that much time. And that's, I mean, I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I think I need to give credit where credit's due. Like without the support of my parents, emotionally, but also financially, I wouldn't have had the journey that I did. Uh, so I owe a lot to them. And even like I, I mentioned, my mom would get in the water, you know, when I was younger. Um, she stopped doing that, thankfully, <laughs> as I got older. But there was a time where I swam on the men's national team and my dad actually would drop me off and swim with us and he has no swimming background whatsoever but he is very competitive um and so he trained with us he was a pseudo member of the men's national team <laughs> as amazing. i was in kuwait in nadi bahri and yeah i think we all need someone to believe in us other than you know ourselves so it's really important to have that outside support and it, it, i'm so thankful that my family was so supportive my brothers were very supportive they were also have an athletic background so they understood the commitment that it would take and yeah, I just couldn't be more, more thankful. That being said, so there's... Did you, go oh, sorry. No, go for it. I was going to say, did you have to travel like outside of Kuwait a lot to compete, to like swim against other girls or to get like some of that? Like how did, what was that like? Because I just know like growing up, like we were gone at swim meets like every weekend, you know, different yeah. schools and stuff. But in Kuwait, obviously it's different. <laughs> so how did totally. that work to like get the competition, you know, against people like your own yeah. age or your own gender? So I think that's one of the things I suffered from is the a lack of regular competition. And that's something that I was exposed to at later point in my life when I was swimming okay. in college. But we had to travel around the GCC to, to compete. And those were kind of what you'd call as, you know, they're the bigger meets that you'd, you'd be tapering for. 
So there'd probably right. be a couple, a very handful, maybe two or three in a year, which is not enough for someone that's, that's the, the way that you improve is through competing. And right. so I think I suffered a bit from that. Uh, we did host, we would be invited obviously to other countries in the GCC and Kuwait uh, or elite swim team in Kuwait hosted all the other countries and, and teams that we were competing against regularly once in probably a couple of years into my time there. And all these other athletes from, from the GCC came to Kuwait. They had tapered for this meet. You know, they were ready. They're excited. They're in Kuwait. They paid for hotels. They paid for flights. They're ready. And halfway through, and not even halfway through, but during warm up, I think the, some conservative MPs stormed and canceled the whole thing. And it was one of the oh most embarrassing God. moments for wow. me as, as an athlete, but also as Arabs like to host, you know, and I felt like some sort of responsibility for getting all these athletes. But at the same time, I was very embarrassed that, you know, we are going to other people, to other countries and competing and experiencing and improving and, and getting access to all these facilities and we cannot reciprocate. So, right. yeah. So wow. if, if you don't mind me, all right, I, if you don't want to talk about this, this is completely fine. But how was it? I mean, in terms of the the backlash, so to speak, I mean, how, how did it make you feel like throughout this? Was it like me against the world? Was it like, you know, like, was it you and your family trying to, fight through this because I know it was, it was a big issue for a time, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, right? So it- I think I, I, for the most part, I've received very positive support uh, with exceptions, you know, of, of some, some negative comments here and there, which I don't pay attention to because at the end of the day, they're, they're not going to help me in any way. They're just going to hinder me. So sometimes I'd let it fuel me. But for most of the part, I didn't even pay attention to it. There were some times, for example, where some neighbors they they had called up my dad and were questioning like by or letting my dad know that his daughter was waking up at 5 a.m. to go to God knows where, <laughs> you know, and my dad was like, yes, I'm the one that sent her oh, wow. there, basically, wow. you know, and so just kind of people don't really I think it just comes from a place of, of a lack of understanding, let's say. So they don't understand yeah. why would this girl be waking up at 5 a.m. every morning to go to and swim? You know, like, this is a, it's kind it's of unheard a, of yeah. in our culture, which which. I mean, it, it must have been difficult, but it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that you kind of, you know, you kind of led the way for, I think, a lot of females in the sports to have aspirations and dreams of going to the Olympics. I mean, it's a heavy question, but how does that make you feel? First of all, thank you. I honestly don't feel that way. I, I don't think that my, let's say, work here is done in the sense that we have a lot of female athletes besides me and their trajectory or their kind of like athletic advancement isn't still clear. So on the one hand, I hope that I'm inspiring people to at least take up sports and to pursue it competitively and on a, you know, like a higher level. But I also want to give a shout out as well to the women and the females in Kuwait that are struggling out there, that are financing themselves, that are, you know, finding their own competitions to go to in their own careers and representing themselves. Wow, that's tough. And um, was there was there financing? Because I know my cousin, she was a, a skater. You know, when before they started the whole committee and all of this, and you know how the politics go in Kuwait. Was there finance? Because I know she had to go to China on her own, her her own financial backing in the early, late nineties. I'd say early two thousands, and the government didn't support her at all. You know, and they had to pay for the hotels, they had to pay for the flights, they had to pay for everything. So, how was that? Did you get any support from the government, or was there Olympic Committee support, or not really? So the my parents funded most of my swimming career, um, especially because I, I went through the private route. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I competed with the elite swim team. 
I traveled to meets and stuff. That was definitely sponsored by my parents. Later on, when I started competing with under Kuwait, under the Kuwaiti flag, the government or the, the, the swimming federation funded me. So I think it's kind of hard to say um, definitively, yeah, yeah, right? No, understandable, understandable. But it's kind of a, a mixture of, of, of both. But, you know, a lot, of, a lot of girls out there are still funding themselves. And, it's true, that's very true. Yeah, and I just, I can't help but question. I, I personally believe that we have a lot of raw talent in Kuwait. And I wonder... If that if the the pool of temple that we have here was in any other country in the region, what the outcome might be? So true. Yeah. So true. I've seen a lot of kids, a lot of younger kids. You know, just basically their parents pushing them towards studying, 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 and giving up the sports that they love. And they had so much talent. Yeah. I mean, I knew a kid that could have easily gone and played pro ball in the states, but there was just no support here. Whereas an interview I did a couple of weeks ago with uh, Fahd Zaid. He's a young baseball player here in Kuwait, and wow. he's going. He could go pro That's very amazing. easily. And his mom and dad. I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was interviewing his dad, like when he told me what he does for his child, I was like, that is amazing. Like they travel all summer, yeah. every state, playing baseball here, playing baseball there. Wow. And they really support it, and they're doing everything for their child. And when I see other kids that have gone through the system, and they just don't get that, even through the, the clubs now, you don't see it as much as when I was a kid. Like I was a diver, you know, I, I went through gymnastics into diving so at a club. And now it's, you don't see it as much. And it's, I think it's been killed, so to speak, because of just the social media rain and everything else that kids aren't really paying that much of attention to sports and parents aren't because they're focused on the education. But if you were to give advice to a parent, what would you tell them right now? I think that sports can save your child's life. And I don't mean that in, I just mean that I think it can really benefit your child in so many ways. Like all of my lessons that I've learned from swimming, I, I like I apply daily and no one can study that much, you know, like there can always be a balance and you should equally divide your time between academics and athletics. And there's no reason that your child should not be able to do that. I think a lot of times people procrastinate on one or the other, and so they're not able to do both. But if they're generally committed and they have the support and the resources to be able to do both, then they can. That's amazing. There's so many things to be learned from being like a, a student athlete, especially like at the collegiate off, uh, level that we talked about with like going into a workforce, like after that, like really learning like time management and discipline and things like that. But you also learn that at the at young age too. I know, yeah, like just how to work with other people. It's swimming is kind of one of those things. It's like an individual sport, but kind of a team sport. Kind of. In other words, you like training together. Yeah, depends where you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, it was definitely more more individual. But uh, there's so many things that you know that they think that sitting down and studying a book is teaching them discipline and teaching these things that it's going to take them into the workforce. But going through a sport and and being committed to that is something that definitely gives an advantage. I think if you look at student athletes compared to anybody who, who didn't play a sport or did, wasn't physically active, I think the athlete always kind of has the advantage when it comes to work ethic. Yeah, I think uh, that's something that m- my parents ingrained in me from a very early age is that discipline is transferable. So yeah. if you learn discipline and one of a really good way to do that is through sports, then you can transfer yeah. it into any endeavor. So that's something that needs to keep in mind for parents out there, but also for kids out there. Because once you learn how to, you know, work really hard towards a goal day in and out, then you, you're unstoppable. So I think yeah. it's it's inspiring as well 
Um, and I think you said that you have experience in the States and just the sheer number of athletes that are also student athletes and that sheer number is, is, is kind of inspiring as well. Yeah. So before we get into some of the Olympic questions, since this is, you know, about health and fitness and everything, I'm going to ask about a, a little bit more about training. Now with swimming, we know that, you know, your shoulders can roll forward from all the forward motion and everything. What have you done to sort of rehab and prehab that? You know, how can you, what advice can you give to some of the younger athletes who are, you know, in the sport of volleyball, baseball, swimming, or anything with that forward movement that's just kind of, you know, because there are a lot of, from what I know, and from what swimmers have told me, rotator cuff tears and all kinds of injuries that come along from that. And people think swimming is an easy sport. There's no joint degradation, but in reality. Yeah, yeah I think easy, we'll use, use that word very loosely <laughs> because I don't think swimming is an easy sport, but it is an, like, it's not an impact sport, right? So your joints are not being pounded on concrete or, or, you know, you're not running and stuff. So it is really great for your body, but obviously when you do something repetitively, you can, you're at risk of getting injured. And with swimming, it's very, it's very common to have shoulder problems. I personally didn't experience that many shoulder issues, but I did experience some tenderness. And some of the things that we do, we'd obviously warm up before getting in the water. You know, you're stretching, you're kind of getting everything moving. And then we ice a lot. That was kind of a huge thing that we would do. Ice, 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 ice after <laughs> practice, which was not very fun, um, mm -hmm. especially when it was freezing outside. But I think, yeah, it's, it's important to be smart and to know your, to understand your body and what, what it's capable of doing. Because sometimes, let's say your coaches are pushing you and, you know, you have all these pressures and you want to keep going. And the reality is that when you're injured, it's probably the worst. It's the worst time because you want to be pushing yourself. You want to be, you know, with your team or, or contributing and, and working hard, but you can't. And it's, it's a very frustrating time in, a, in an athlete's life. And so it's important to just kind of, stay positive. There's a lot of mental stuff that, that's also really important, like visualization. There's never a reason. Well, there can be a reason to stop training, but for the most part, there's never a reason to fully stop training. So with swimming, people that have shoulder issues, sometimes would work on, you know, their kick, they'd focus on other aspects. Or if you, you know, had, if you pull the muscle or, you know, then you would, you'd work around it. So the, the, the key is to be consistent. And I think that's like a very crucial thing for any athlete is consistency. So is there any work that you do in the gym? Kind of like, uh, like obviously we see like a lot of people who are doing swimming, running, cycling, like kind of monostructural activities who don't really spend that much time in the gym. And then they might find like they get imbalances or kind of different, like kind of they might get injured in a certain side right. or something like that. Is, is there anything that you guys do specifically to, to stop that or to treat that? So going back to this, my brothers and I and our rivalry about sports and which one is the worst when I did a body scan and my brother did a body scan he was completely lopsided right because he played tennis and his he had his right hand was his dominant hand yeah with swimming you're, I was completely like equal on both sides oh, that's amazing yeah that is, and that's I think pretty cool. and that makes sense right like you're you're just you're swimming and you're doing everything on the same side in the in terms of what we do in the gym I think it differs on team by team but we would get in there and we do a lot of Olympic lifts uh, but we uh, that was in my college career so we were doing, I was doing like pull-ups and, and stuff like that in Kuwait and, and core workouts and, and stuff because the, the core is like the powerhouse of your, your body, right? Yeah, like it sure. prevents a lot of injury. And if you have a strong core, it's kind of the, the fundamental building block of any move. Well, the breath is so important and that's part of your core. And so that's yeah. why the core training is, yeah, in your spine. Yeah. No, yeah. So, so 
We did a lot. <laughs> we and swimmers call um, on land exercises or gym exercises dry land as well. Uh, so yeah. there was a component of dry land exercises, like with medicine balls or abs and stuff. So it's really people don't realize that swimming. There's more than just the actual training that you do inside the pool. Yeah, you mm. you actually spend time in the gym, lifting, doing Olympic lifts. How often a week would you kind of would, like at your peak? Would Lift, you have done it? Probably lifting three times a week, and that would be before a swim. So okay. then you would apply kind of the movements and build on, and then jump in the water right after. Okay. And then um, that was in college, or that, that was that in? was in college. And then we did dry land as well probably two times a week and this is all on top of training and then yeah. we also did a bit of visualization leading up to like swim meets and stuff so it's a very and then getting the swimming in as well and then getting <laughs> the swimming in getting the competing guys, in <laughs> how many hours in the pool did you guys do like especially in college i guess like how many hours were your practices were you doing like two days and how long was each practice so yeah we were doing two days probably alternating between two days and one a day uh, but Probably each practice would be around two, two and a half. It depends on the yeah. the day. Um, and in Kuwait, I'd probably say like an hour and a half in the morning, an hour and a half at night for the swimming component. And then I'd have to do stuff on my own as well. So yeah, yeah that was one of the things like growing up, it was big on, you know, building up the yards and it was, you know, two, two hour practices or so probably during, you know, high school and stuff. And then you taper off for, for whatever meets. And then in college, we started off my first year, it was two a days like that almost two hours each practice plus the dry land you know jumping stairs and lifting weights and all that yeah. kind of stuff but what we started then after that was like we would have days where we'd do less time in the pool we'd go do like rock climbing we would do pilates we would do you know more time in the weight room and the olympic lifts and then like crossfit became like a part of it and the the hours in the pool actually started to decrease and everyone's times and things actually actually got better with that wow. that was something that was cool i just got exposed to a lot more because it was kind of the same idea with like running, you know, like with marathoners, right? Like they build up their miles, build up their miles, and then you kind of, you know, taper off before before things swimming kind of had the same same thing. And uh, it was really interesting because I grew up with that method too of just building up the the yards, you know, packing on the extra suits and the, all the extra drag and, <laughs> and then you taper off before the big meet. So it was really interesting to see like how we played other sports, how that started to impact the that's the times and things. That's that, really cool. I'm going to definitely send an email to my college coach advising that the current <laughs> women's swim team gets less time in the pool and more time doing Pilates. I don't I don't know how that's going to go down with him, but I think... It's interesting to hear the different methods though against definitely, the, definitely the is. Team. And I learned a lot swimming in the States just because everyone had the kind of different backgrounds as well. My yard right. was definitely on the lower end of the spectrum compared to my teammates, but I learned a lot from them in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I'm obviously very thankful for, for them. That's cool. Do you continue with Olympic lifts and those kinds of styles of training outside of the pool now? Or do you still swim daily or what's kind of the so routine I'm, right now? Uh, right now, I actually do a lot of Pilates, which is very interesting that you <laughs> mentioned that. Awesome. <laughs> but I, I'm not competing at the moment, but I'm hoping that you know, I can encourage other girls in Kuwait to start competing and, and kind of pass the baton to to them. But I'm still very active. I I believe in like the leading a healthy and active lifestyle. And I think athletes, once they, let's say, stop competing at that level and training at that level, they get into like a post-athletic depression or post, there's even like a post-Olympic Games depression, which people yeah. don't really talk about as well. And I think that it's really important to to be active and to, you know, get your endorphins in in every way that you can just so that you can live a great life. 
So what what is yeah. the post Olympic depression? If you don't mind me asking, I've never I've never heard of that before. Like that is something that I'm a first at hearing that. I don't think I personally experienced it, but I can understand or start to understand a bit of of it. But I think it's basically the idea that you know you're at the pinnacle of your career um, and at a level so high, and you've and you know once you're you're done with that, you kind of you're in that spotlight, and once that moment is over, you're kind of thrown in into the background and it's really frustrating because people don't understand the amount of training sacrifice and hard work that goes into getting to the olympics and getting to that stage so all they see is that that little snippet and so for some events like for swimming let's say or for other events running it's like mere seconds and people don't understand that it's taken years to get to that point entire lifetime yeah. yeah you know and and so i think it's kind of the idea that people are, are only relevant, you know, once every four years and they don't understand. Which, which is sad because there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. There's so much behind the scenes. And it's like, you know, it's truly amazing that someone could live their whole life, go day in and day out to get to the Olympics. You get there. And then if you just came so close and it's like, OK, now what? But some people pick themselves up right. really well after it and lead amazing careers afterwards. And some people, you know, you hear about these stories a lot of, you know, this person that, you know, especially pro sports players, a lot of them, you hear about them just going downhill afterwards. So, yeah. And I, th- I think that's, it, yeah. So I was going to say, like, I think it's more relevant for people who come first rather than people who come second and third and, and below because, like, they, they won. And then it's like that kind of lull after competition where they're kind of like, okay, now what, what, what am I now? training for now? Yeah, you yeah. get off yeah. the high. <laughs> so whereas like yeah. the second and third yeah. guys were like, okay, like I know what I've got to do to get better. Um, like I only need to get like yeah. a second better or however much and they're, they're driven. Um, whereas the guys who came first have kind of got to choose then whether they want to c- continue to compete or like kind of what they're going to do, whether they want to finish, whether they like. So it's kind of like I think there's a lot of um, mental character and that kind of the support network that they have before they go to the Olympics maybe doesn't exist as much after the Olympics. And so it's really, really important for people like the family and everyone and the support network they have around them to be there just as much for them after. And it could be at any level, like it could yeah. be at Olympic level, but or totally it could be agree, like yeah. even just like kind of, it could be national competing. level. Yeah, it yeah. could be national level. It could right. be like for some of the CrossFit guys, like competing at Battle of the East, if that is their like kind of their Everest. Yeah. And then they're kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, so I think it happens to a lot of athletes as well. Like and when they have kind of such a, a good season and then they're kind of like, well, what do I do? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're not, a, if you're not at that level, you could work to the next season. You know, yeah. but if you're at that level and you're a 32 year old and it's your last shot right. or a 34 year old and it's your last shot at doing something after that, it's like, okay, do I go coach? Do I go do this? And then some people just kind of go off and there, you never hear from them. Again. There's always a step out of the spotlight. Yeah. 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 Cause you're not going to be totally. like that athlete who, well, you always, you yeah. see some of them that step back into the spotlight. And I think yeah. those, those are like great examples. Um, I'm going to go to baseball because that's like the one sport <laughs> that I know, like David Ortiz. You know, he retired a couple of years ago, but he's still in the spotlight. He still goes out, helps out, coaches guys, coaches young athletes. He's a spokesman for... What about, uh, was it Michael Jordan? He came to baseball after basketball, No, Michael right? Jordan. Because yeah. he, he retired. <laughs> he retired. And then he was like, I'm going to like, do, do something else. <laughs> right. so, but then he went back. He picked the wrong sport. No, <laughs> hitting, went, a, hitting, a, hitting a round ball with a round this, bat is one of the hardest things to do in sports. This is my attempt at uh, bridging the gap between something that I find interesting and baseball. But that is like, uh, after that lull that you're talking about, that was after 
college swimming was done. That's kind of why I got into the competing of CrossFit. It was introduced during college swimming as part of our training, but that was something that was like, when you're done competing, you're just like, well, what now? And I didn't get really good at swimming until like my senior year. Like I didn't make it to nationals or anything like my first three years. And then like the last year I peaked at everything and I'm like, well, shit, now it's over. Like, what do I do? And the uh, CrossFit helped fill that void. But then once I stopped with that too, that is it is hard to know, like, what am I training for? Like exercising kind of takes on a different tone, you know, like you're, you're just kind of like, what? And it takes a while for you to come around to like, oh, general health and wellness is kind of what I, what I should be aiming for. But I look at a lot of athletes that I grew up with and college athletes too. And I don't know about your teammates and stuff, but it does seem kind of like after that college career is over, like a lot of them, it's really hard to transition not only from training like 30 to 40 hours a week and then going into the workforce and sitting at a desk maybe all day, or even the nutrition side of like swimming. I mean, you can, I don't want to say you can eat whatever you want, but I definitely didn't pay attention to really how fast I was eating or how much I was eating. <laughs> and then you finish yeah. swimming and you're like, oh, I'm not burning like up. <laughs> 4,000 calories in my first practice. <laughs> I think that's, it definitely catches up. Um, it's just, it's a yeah. learning experience too, but you're right. I think it, exercise takes on a different meaning in, in different stages in your life. And it's, just about being prepared and being resilient. Um, and, you know, hopefully your your athletic career and, you know, every, all the other things that you've done in your life have kind of prepared you for that integration and for that next step. Because that's, I guess that's also what it's about, being prepared yeah. and, you know, being able to live your life. So can you tell us anything about um, the Olympic Committee meeting, the uh, Olympic Committee uh, discussion you had in Japan, what, what that was about? Yeah, so I was invited by the Olympic Council of Asia. Uh, it was a forum for athletes to discuss the needs of uh, athletes leading up to, during, and after the Olympic Games. And it was, and each continent had one. So this was for the continent of Asia. And this you might appreciate. Baseball is in the next Olympics. Inside scoop for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it crushes me. We've had baseball in Kuwait since the 1980s, and it crushes me that we don't have. They wouldn't even let us compete. We, we, we tried last year to form the federation. I was part of the team going after the federation. Cause for me, it was like, I'm 34. I got one more shot. Right. I've got, you know, I've got some mileage left in the tank. And it's just unfortunate that we were banned from the Olympics and right. we had all the bans going on. So we couldn't really reach out to anybody. And now it's kind of everything's just up. It's Kuwait. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I can Hope, say. Yeah. But it's amazing that baseball is in the Olympics. It really is. So tell us about that. So it was it was a really good learning experience as well to be able to kind of contribute to this these conversations that were happening and and you know to voice I guess my concerns and and I think the the key takeaway from from that forum or or meeting was that we need to have a open dialogue or or like a clearer trajectory like you just mentioned for for athletes to get from competing in in local meets to competing and representing Kuwait internationally that needs to be clarified a lot and with that clarification I hope that we'll see a lot more athletes you know representing Kuwait like I, it would be my I think I would cry if I got to see like a full roster of a Kuwaiti team you know it would Just, be amazing it would be truly amazing and especially in in non-traditional sports you know just new sports that would be coming up you know new representation that would be really cool as well like baseball hockey you keep hockey. hockey i mean hockey my, my uncle started with the first hockey team he was the goalkeeper as he said back in the 80s wow. and the 90s i mean and now that there's a female hockey team and there's a female football team i think 
the female sports in Kuwait, I think there's so much talent, you know, and I, I think now it's just getting, it's starting, they're starting to tap into it. And it's, it's, it's amazing so. to see. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're only maybe a few more years away from it. And hopefully if we could get past the barrier of parents thinking that only books is the most important thing, you know, because yeah. I think that's a big, that's a big problem we have in our culture where they're like, no, 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 you have to study where they don't understand that you playing a sport is going to actually help. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think, yeah, I think I spoke at AUK, I think a couple of years ago, and just to discuss about how having a healthy mind is having a healthy body, like the two, can't, you can't have one without the other. And yeah, parents should definitely get over that. I was never raised that way. And it worked out for our family. So you, had, so. you were AP, right? You were advanced, advanced like classes and stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't know the I don't know the jargon. I was never advanced classes. I was the <laughs> I was the one kicked out of the class. <laughs> so so I mean that must have helped because you had that structure built in. So yeah. it probably helped with the structure to study. I'm assuming. Yeah, and you learn how to be productive in the time that you are given um, or the time that you have. So you have X amount of time. You're gonna use that the most productively. And, you know, you actually feel more refreshed. Like if you, if I have, let's say for during finals or exams, if I am just studying day in and day out, like you're not going to be that productive. It's nice to have like a nice two hour break. No one is studying 12 hours a day. I, they're going to be playing video games. They're going to be on Instagram. Yeah. Wouldn't it be more productive to, you know, reset your body and your mind and start on a clean sheet by, you know, jumping in the water, for example. It makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, youth committee, uh, the youth the youth event? It was sorry, you could probably yeah. Um, I was invited by the Ministry of Youth. They they had a like a, a festival to highlight highlight I guess Arab talent. I'm not sure exactly what the and they. Uh, I was just I spoke about kind of obstacles that I face and lessons that I've learned and how I've overcome those obstacles. You know, such as like finding a swimming pool. You know, finding support all those things just to kind of put my story out there and hopefully encourage other people. I have a question for you because I was doing personal training with a lot of clients and um, if they had a pool in their house, like we could incorporate swimming with that. But I do have a lot of clients that come and they're like, I never learned how to swim and I want to know. And I had like a group of like 40 year old women that I want to know. And we had the hardest time finding a pool that even like, that would have like female only times or even like, do you have suggestions if somebody is looking to try swimming no matter what age, like where is a is a place that that they could go? Yeah, I, the the sad thing is that we do not have a regulation size Olympic pool right. that women that are that is for women. So the the facilities that we do have in Kuwait are, you know, some of them are non-regulation, which is another discussion. Most right. all of them are reserved for men. So the unfortunate thing is that there's no exact answer. I would always recommend the starting point being like elite swim team. They're obviously very tapped into, you know, swimming pools and they have coaches and female coaches. And right. they they also have uh, like a, 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 not a team, but classes for women. It's called Girl Goggles. And I came up with the name actually. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's 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 where women can can go and swim. And, and it's it's completely female run. The coaches are females and stuff. So always, always starting with that point was, was always great. Okay. The swimming is also from like a safety perspective. We're surrounded by like water, right? And I think it's so important right. that everyone, even if they're not going to become like an, a competitive swimmer, they should at least learn. And that should be a crucial step right. in, in all schools. In, in fact, in, at my university, everyone has to pass the swimming test. 
um, mm. regardless of whether or not they're swimmer, every single student. So why don't we apply that and every single student coming out of the public system, the private system should be able to pass a very basic test, you know, just to prevent yeah. a lot of safety. Um, yeah, definitely. Have you gotten into any open water swimming? Absolutely not. It's totally different. It's totally uh, yeah. different. If we had some clean lakes yeah. in Kuwait, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I really, I respect people that, that get into the long distance and the open water. I have just been a sprint athlete my entire life and I don't think I could probably do <laughs> the idea of doing something longer. It doesn't entice me. I like the, the rush of so the what sprint. So kind of, what kind of like, I, I know nothing about swimming. I know like the crawl, the, the butterfly. Nobody calls it the yeah, crawl. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no one calls it the crawl, really? Yeah, no, no. one calls it, but it's okay. okay. We'll, let, we'll let you call it. We'll let you call it the crawl. Right. I, was, I, was, I know the uh, butterfly stroke. I can do yeah. that pretty well. My uncle taught me that no, one. No, you can't. Do you want to make a bet? I'm going to film it. I'm going to put it on Instagram today. I'm taking my son swimming in a little while. And I'm going to post that. I think I'm on Meg's side. I don't believe it. I need to see it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I'm posting that today. So we'll see what you, you think said butterfly that. Just it's, just like, it's just like when Liam said I couldn't do a cartwheel. All right? I, I didn't say that. Actually. He didn't I, know. I, 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 did I used to be in gymnastics. So. Oh, actually, maybe I take it back. Yeah, you never know. I was in gymnastics, diving. You know, I, I dove for a good three or four years at that sea club. That's and we had Russian like coaches. Yeah, or like yeah. Falling in the water. No, it was actually it was diving. diving. I fell <laughs> in the water once. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. But um, so right now, what's what are your current projects? Like, where where the project Kuwait? So obviously, this is our project. But what's your project? Um, well, I think I have a lot of projects at the moment, which is part of the problem, or a lot of things that I want to do. Like I said, I'd love to see more people active in Kuwait. Like, we have extremely high rates of diabetes and obesity. And so from that baseline, just more activity and, and more opportunities for people because the kind of gyms and stuff are also, it's incredible fitness scene that's, that's, that's happening right now in Kuwait. But a lot of people can't, don't, aren't privileged or they don't have access to, true, to yeah. those and they, they are quite expensive. So just to kind of democratize fitness, that would be one thing that would be really cool and hopefully just promote, you know, or destigmatize female athletes, female, females that work out and by, you know, posting about it, talking about it as much as I can. Whenever I'm back here, I, I try and do, get out there and speak. And obviously, my ultimate project would be to encourage society and the government to support women in sports. So the, as we mentioned, the reality is that we have a lot of female athletes, but they don't have the actual tangible support. So they're most of them are self-funded and they don't have a clear trajectory. So it's up to, I guess, you and me, like all of us, to support to support and encourage women and girls in every way possible. So with, with, with young female athletes and female athletes in general in Kuwait, are there any resources for them to receive funding besides the government? I mean, I know in the States you could get grants, you could get stuff like that, right, Meg, if I'm not mistaken, I'm in college. In college, you can get scholarships. I don't know. What are you saying? Like scholarships, grants, stuff like that. Do we yeah, have that in yeah. Kuwait? Is that available at all? Or See, the... the, the they we have i'm not entirely sure is is okay. the right. the answer to that one but i do know that there are companies that sponsor athletes in kuwait oh, okay. and i think i believe like spark athletics um i know that agility logistics also sponsored athletes zane i believe as well so it through that route as well there's some sponsorship opportunity well, that's at good least. that's really good that's but, amazing that's but it's good it's know. private from the private route as well so 
Well, they, they usually give the best sponsorship anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not as hard as the government, but I mean, any other questions, guys? I mean, for the, no? Not, not really. So I, I think it's been, this has been an yeah. awesome episode. Like this has by far been an amazing episode, just hearing about your experiences. And thank you so much for coming on and, you know, just spreading the word. And hopefully we could help some young athletes out with this. I, that's all we can hope, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you all. Thank you, Faye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.